Welcome to The Last Geek in Space, the podcast where we send comic book creators into the timeless depths of space with nothing but magazines and artwork for company. This issue, Dogs in Space, Tales of Old Marvel, the Indian comic book scene, and award-winning writer and editor, Jason Crin. Welcome to The Last Geek in Space. My name is Alan Kelso. Today's guest is award-winning writer and editor Jason Quinn. With over 30 years of experience in the business, Jason started out at Marvel UK, staying on when it became Panini, before moving on to Pinewood Studios in Campfire Books in India, where he helped create such amazing titles as Gandhi, Steve Jobs, The Beatles, and World War One. So we're gonna pop you on a spaceship Right, okay. I'll give you a load of comics to take with. And we're going to start yeah. with the first comic that you ever really liked or meant anything to you. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Because there were so many, because I really did. Because my brother, Tim, more or less, he had loads of comics. And he's he was ancient when I was tiny. So I more or less learned to read with comics. And... I think the first thing that really stood out and meant loads to me was Ur Woolley. You know, the uh, it, it was Thompson. Li- yeah, yeah, it was. It used to appear in the um, Sunday Post, and then there'd be an annual every two years. There'd be the Ur Woolley annual and the Bruins annual, and so I think that was what really got me at first. It was just this little kid with spiky hair who sat on a bucket and wore dungarees and i was desperate for some dungarees uh, and I wanted see you in dungarees. yeah i wanted i wanted the spiky hair way be, way before punk and i used to talk with like because it was all written in scott's dialect so i i would speak then like he would i'd come out with jings a dinner ken <laughs> but uh, <laughs> all these things, and no one, of course, uh, around me knew what I was going on about. But I, I loved Or Woolly, and there was one though. There was a Christmas story that just had me in tears. It was, uh, and I still remember it to this day. He decided to trade in his old bucket that he would sit on for a new plastic bucket, I think it was. And he threw the old bucket away. But then it had him that night, that Christmas night, thinking about his poor bucket alone, walking through the snow, all unwanted. And I I was crying my eyes out at the thought of this poor bucket with a hole in, walking through a blizzard. (laughs) That was the first one that really meant anything to me. So once you got into comics that way, what was the next development stage? Where did you go from there? Well, then, of course, there was all the superheroes because Tim had a massive collection of DC and Marvel. And uh, I always loved the Flash's uh, villains. I really loved uh, all of his rogues gallery. I thought were fantastic right from the word go. But then I think, the the comic the, and it's still actually probably my favourite comic 
today was that run of the Avengers. Uh, it was Don Heck and uh, and Stanley, and it was when they got rid of all the great Avengers and got just got the the crappy ones in. So Hawkeye, Cap, Wanda, and Petro, yep. and that I think was the best run of Avengers ever. Just the interaction between them, the fact they all hated each other. Yeah. And, and Captain America's just trying to rule, you know, run this dysfunctional family. And I think that period as well had some of the best covers that I've ever seen in in comics. It's like my favorite one. I think possibly my favorite cover of a comic book ever. And it's that one, Avengers, and it's the swordsman pushing uh, Captain America off a rooftop. Oh, yeah. And Cap's all chained up, and he's just tossed him off this rooftop while Hawkeye and Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch are all looking up. I I don't know why Quicksilver just doesn't run up there really quickly (laughs) and catch him. He never likes him. (laughs) Instead of standing there gawping. But that to me was what, because it made you want to see, oh shit, how does he get out of this? And covers don't really do that so much anymore. No, they're separate from the story now, aren't they? They're just done months in advance a lot of the time. It's like the superheroes, you know, it's like they're posing for X Factor, looking moody and uh, standing in space or midair with nothing to do with the story going on. So there's no really memorable ones anymore. We know they look good standing and looking moody, but we don't know the story's going to be any good. That's usually because they probably don't know the story while they're doing the cover. That's true. But, I mean, there's so so many stories now are just people just chatting. It's like this great chat, but it wouldn't make a great comic. Not the best action story ever. It's not, no. (laughs) You don't know what's going on off screen, though. I'm a bit worried about what's going on off screen, actually. (laughs) Yeah. So would you say, going back to that Avengers comic, I was just going to give you a single issue to take into space with you. Yeah. Would it be that Swordsman issue? Oh, or would you have something it, else? Out? I think it would either be that or it could possibly one that always puts a smile on my face is um, the very first Iron Man story. The Vietnam one, was it? The Vietnam one. Yeah. yeah. Not that there's a great deal of laughs to be had out of Vietnam or, <laughs> or anything, but it always just brings me again back to childhood reading it because there's a bit where it's, it introduces playboy Tony Stark and there's these uh, bathing beauties uh, watching him on a beach. There, I think they're on a beach and they're just watching him and they're saying, oh, there's that dreamy Tony Stark. Um, you know, he's as dishy as Rock Hudson. And... <laughs> I used to I love that. I had no idea who Rock Hudson was. In fact, I thought it was a place. I thought it was like they were saying like he was as gorgeous as some bit of scenery. Yeah. And it did, I just thought, what a weird thing to say. This was as like a seven, eight-year-old, you know. I was thinking I'd, I'd, I'd never seen him or anything. And so, yeah, I just thought it was some great place, in, probably in Canada. Yeah, <laughs> I always think that was when Iron Man was at his best, when Tony Stark was a complete arsehole. Yeah, me too. It was Stan Lee said, didn't he, that he um, created him because he 
done all these great characters. It was the height of flower power in the 60s. All yeah. these people loved his comics. So he wanted to create someone who sold arms for a living and make yeah. them a hero that these hippies would love. And he was, well, I mean, also he was their millionaire. So he was like their DC hero in a way. Mm. Uh, you know, he was the rich one. He was the good looking one. He was the playboy by day. Yeah, I think he was great in those days. He was such a dick. I mean, he's he's always kept that dickishness. Yeah about him but uh i do think that was him at his best yeah and there was so again there were so many great covers of those old iron man stories like that one there's one with mr doll yeah and there's the the melter as well where he's melting the armor off off iron man's arm (laughs) so many so many of them were really bad communists yes of course yeah the red something or you know I liked it then in the UK when they, they changed some of those, like the Red Ghost and I think, and they just became the Mad Ghost. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I always loved the Red Ghost or the Mad Ghost, you know, I thought it was good. Yeah. Cool. I just I mean, wanted I guess, apes, you know. Yeah, I guess the Mad Ghost is actually a scarier name than the Red Ghost, yeah. especially since, uh, uh, I mean, he, was, he never wore red. He was always in green. So unless you were au okay and knew that that meant a communist, then it went way over your head. You just thought, what? Is this just some colouring mistake? So did you always want to write comics for a living? Because I heard you started out as an actor. Well, I know you started yeah. out acting. And... Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, Tim did comics, you know. So when I was growing up, he, he had started working in comic books. And no, it wasn't particularly something I really wanted to do at that time. So, I, I yeah, I wanted to be an actor and... uh you know, all singing, all dancing, um, superstar. But uh, enders at one point. Well, yeah, I did actually uh, have a very small part in EastEnders over about, I think it was about three or four episodes. I actually could have been the guy that killed Dirty Den, although he later came back, just like in comics. So. Sure. I failed, but yeah, I was following him along that um, canal, and uh, you, you know, and tailing him, looking sinister. I was there drinking in the Queen Vic, looking sinister, and uh, glare. Like the average night when we used to go out to the pub at Marvel. That's right. I would just be there in the corner, looking sinister, reliving my glory days. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, anyway, I I think I, so I tried being an actor and I ended up getting really down and sort of, you know, you, you go for these parts and you wouldn't get them. And I think after a bit of like getting really upset that I hadn't got a part in some program that I'd never watch anyway, because I thought it was crap. Uh, Like, yeah, I can't even remember what it was. It was probably the bill or something. And I was thinking, this is insane. Why am I doing this to myself? Getting so pissed off about not getting parts in things that I don't even want to do. So I started writing then. and But basically at that, at that time, I was writing things for me to appear in. So I wrote a few shows and a few uh, plays and things. And uh did it that way and kind of, you know, put them on in some of the fringe theatres around London. 
And that was how I started writing. Then, yeah, it, it eventually then comics kind of just came. Of course, I'd never stopped reading them. Yeah. I'd always carried on. And writing comics is pretty much like writing a play or, you know, a Very script similar. TV. Because si it has to be visual. And I think at first, like probably like with a lot of writers writing for comics as well, you know, you fall into that pitfall of having people talk at great length. So it's way, way, way too wordy. And so it was like in both early comic scripts that I'd do and some of the scripts I'd do for TV, you know, I'd be using Shakespeare as my uh, muse and they'd have big, long soliloquies that <laughs> when they could have just said, no, don't want to do that, they'd go on about the slings and arrows of not doing that. That worked for the Silver Surfer, though. It did work for him. Yeah. Although I was never a massive fan of the Silver Serpent, apart from when he was with the Defenders. Yeah, and the again, defenders it was that brilliant. whole, yeah, it was that whole mix of the dysfunctional family. None of them really getting, especially when they're all forced to hang out together. I know about the same age. I remember with, um, I was reading an issue of the Defenders when I was about 13 at school. Yeah. And it was one page magazine, the British reprints. Mm. A couple of my mates were in the rugby team were trying to convince me that comics were stupid and for kids. Oh, and to, no. And I would say, no, they're not. Look, this is brilliant. And it was an issue of Rampage that had on the cover yeah. the Defenders fighting this monster who was saying, I am the demon of the dark Defenders and you must all die. <laughs> and I was thinking, yeah, I've lost this battle here. On this yeah. Issue, anyway. It was like so many teachers in those days would tell you, oh, they, they, they would be so... You know, they'd reprimand you for reading comics because in those days, every kid still did read comics. Yeah. You know, when we when we were kids, they, they, they did. It's not like now when they don't. But I mean, and we we're all instead of them being glad we were reading something, you know, we, yeah, we it, yeah. you get told off for it. But Stan Lee's stuff, uh, especially, it, it, it had great topics and. They were really kind of deep. Yeah, they, they were. They weren't just, uh, you know, knock around stuff. I mean, you can really see with that period the, the difference in the, in the class of writing of Marvel 60s stuff and, say, DC early 60s yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think DC caught on and, and did some great stuff later on. And I, I, I really, really – and this will be another one I'd like to take. I really love the uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Uh, that was brilliant. The, the, where they do the road trip across yeah. America. It's so good. And I absolutely love those dramatic covers all through that one, especially when, when Green Arrow finds out that Speedy's a, a drug addict. Yeah. That was that's it, still a fantastic issue. Oh, it's fantastic. It's such a great issue and great theme. And uh, those Green Arrow, Green Lantern ones, and, and they're ones that aren't... Uh, you know, I'll always remember, I think that series, that run was as great as, say, Steranko's run on uh, Nick Fiore. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, I'll go back and read them again, you know, still to this day. And they, well, I suppose they've aged a bit, but they're still really good, especially when you get up. the Jesus guy. Especially when you've got Neil Adams on artwork and stuff like oh, that. Oh, he's so cool. He's great. Well, this would lead us into, like, if you could take one graphic novel with you into isolation, 
all right, okay, I think, I think, because there we can have like a collection, can't we? So it's oh, yeah, a, they, yeah. they piled a group together. So I think it would either be that run of uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, or it would be Steranko's run on uh, Nick Fury. Oh, okay. I think again because I think the artwork in that is just so incredible, yeah. and I always spot something new when I, I I go back to it every few years. It's not like I sit at home poring over it every. I nicked one from Panini, and uh, I'll, so how could you ever take anything from Panini? <laughs> I think it's got library copies. The one on thing it. I regret not stealing from Panini is um, a dinosaur sticker album I found on the top floor once from the nineteen seventies. Oh, with every single sticker in it. <gasps> no, and I left it on the bookshelf. I think there was so much left uh, during different moves and yeah. things. There again, it was a bit like those where you're where you're burning all the important data. Like, do you remember when we'd have to clear out the when we cleared out well, the vault in yeah, in Arundel um, Street at Marvel? Yeah, we were working together in the Wundle House at Marvel UK just as Panini took over and moved us all to Tunbridge Wells. God, and and the the great comics in that vault. Yeah. I mean, I did manage to get quite a few of them, but uh, there were so many others that I thought, oh God, I'll kill myself just do you bringing the guy who turned up. We tried to give him to Oxfam. And we took no. Oxfam, we had like an entire vault of comics going for Oxfam. And he yeah. turned up the last day in a mini. Oh, and he well, needed it... a truck to take them. And he just... Oh. Honestly, I mean, it, it was shocking. It was shocking. I think kind of what happened to the, all that art and those comics was a bit like... You know, the BBC when they uh, trashed all the uh, 60s Doctor yeah. Who and stuff it's one of those where you think oh shit how did that happen and and the fact that we okay albeit unwillingly played a part in that our hands are as red as theirs in our defense we tried to post as much of it as back to the artist as we could i mean well, yeah. in the last desperate few days trying to get everything out that's right i mean you're sort of you're putting that this is our nuremberg trials you're, you're that's putting, my defense and I stand you're by it. Your defense, <laughs> but you're still on trial you're not a good nazi well, you, you're gonna hang for I'm, it you're right can i just have that on record i'm not a good nazi <laughs> you're not a good nazi. <laughs> we would actually the, i don't know if you remember but we were the last people to leave a wonderful house we were we were fiddling while Rome burned, yeah. and and Arundel House was great. It, yeah. it 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 was such a great headquarters for Marvel UK, and uh, I do remember we had our old office, and we had our own because you were on my team, yeah. and um, Glenn Dakin was, yeah. Yeah. and Kira yeah. Kira Mulvaney, and the, uh, Dan Rachel was he. Yeah. He yeah. was there. Yeah. Started. Um, Liz stopped for yeah. a while. And, um, was yes. Gary, and Gary Gilbert in our team then? Or he... I don't think he was. It, it, no, I don't think he was in our team. Oh, no, he was in the uh, room. Oh, we had Steve. Oh, yeah. I'd forget the guy who always talked in, uh, in uh, cliches. Yeah. It was like that. That's why we're not saying surnames here. So <laughs> we can't. it was Steve. You can guess who we liked because well, we tell the surnames. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's all a bit much of a muchness. It's. <laughs> I just remember so the it, last day in the office when we'd cleared everything out. Yeah. We were the last people in our old room. And we put, gone. we put Mondragon on. Yeah. I forget the name of the song now. It was Orchestra, Mon- Orchestra Mondragon. And the song was called Voy a Mil Per Hora. That's it. A million Voy miles a an mi- hour. Yeah. I know Spanish. Yeah. Three Hello, boys. Hello, girls. It's <laughs> me again. <laughs> the other that thing was- I remember is when we finished packing up the last bit from our room, this mouse run out into the middle of an empty room and just fell on its back and died. It was so sad, oh, but somehow oh, symbolic of what gone on. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Wow. So, I know that's when you started. So I remember seeing you taking over my role as Spider-Man for The Office because I was getting too fat then to dress up as Spider-Man when kids came oh, in. Oh, God, yeah. I, did. I actually was Spider-Man and kind of uh, Jay Jonah as well because I, I had to appear... Well, no, I wasn't actually JJ, but I put the waistcoat on, and uh, oh, I, I, I don't yeah. think I had a cigar. But you did, act, uh, you did act a bit like him as a boss now and again as well, so that does make uh, sense. We actually did you. We didn't used to fight. We did have one big massive fight. I still think that's the best fight in publishing history. It is, and it nearly. We were both so, and neither of us have. I don't think anyone could say either of us were particularly bad tempered or no. I think you know a reputation for being mellow and suddenly one day he <laughs> came in in bad moods and you and had we, the audacity we, to tell me some text had written should have a comma instead of a full stop and i don't even know, know why each I, other words. I don't even know why i made a thing out of telling and why i didn't just correct it myself and put the the, I think the, we were just both feeling. I think it was an nasty. apostrophe, actually, Alan. Was it? Oh, it was an apostrophe. Don't start. Don't start. It was, a, it was an apostrophe. <laughs> what yeah. I love about that is we had this massive row in the argument, open plan office. Suddenly yeah. we're using the worst possible language you could use in an open plan office. It really was. I Everyone mean, would it fall was... in silence, and we both storm out saying, I'm fucking shitting, fucking pissed off with this place. I'm new. I know. I was then, waiting for someone yeah. to hold us back, but no one did. I think they wanted us to actually have a fight. I think it would, it would have been tickets. They were, they were gathered around, going fight, 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 fight. <laughs> I just remember yeah. us both going to the same pub to sulk. Yes, we did. I know they'd seen <laughs> each other in there, and it was oh god. <laughs> it's that word we can't I say anymore. I don't think it took long to calm down and see no. that it was the most ridiculous oh, rap We were fine ever. within 10 minutes, but we decided not to tell anyone in the office for about yeah. three hours that we'd actually made up. <laughs> I mean, what, like, as, as, if, as if either of us would care about an apostrophe. Yeah. And the worst thing it is, you were right. so much. I don't know why I didn't just change it myself. Next time why we ever I... do... Th- I know we said next time we do that, we should get some furniture from a stunt team or something, you know, and <laughs> yeah. breakable furniture. <laughs> smash it over It should be head. a comma. Smash. Yeah. Oh, an apostrophe, actually. That's true. Mind you, didn't we also get told off for playing football with Big Bird? Was that you or was that Gary? I can't remember. I, we had a Big Bird, life-size Big Bird I, in the yeah, office. Yeah, we still Sesame got Street. the Big the big bird is still there. And um, we were like playing football with him in the office about two well, in the kicking afternoon. Kicking him around? Sorry? K- 
kicking Big Bird? No, he was in goal. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, we won't be enough. You know, obviously, you can't attack Big Bird. That would be Although, out of all of those characters, Big Bird would be the one you would attack. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, he just looks so stupid. Does he? Yeah. He's the one that brings out the school bully in you. Who's but the toughest he... one, though? Gonzo, I think, could go for it. Obviously, Animal would be really nasty, I think. Yeah, he'd be really nasty, but a good Kermit, lad. though, you know, I think Kermit, if you get the wrong way of him. I think Kermit's really sly. Yeah, I do. I think Kermit is really sly. Two-faced, froggy yeah. little bastard. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, actually, that goes back to when you started at Marvel, because you started in um, when Alan O'Keefe, who's the boss now, the big boss, was running the, um, yeah. what was he called, the children's departments? He was head of the nursery department. Yeah. Then you did and all the work, and we got all the glory in the superhero departments. And that's right. Yeah, I started out in the nursery department. I'd, I'd got in there, I thought, brilliant. I'm going to, you know, going to be working with superheroes. This is fantastic. And, uh, no, the first comic I, I got to work on was, it was Barbie. Was it? Yeah, that's right. Tim said, it was, was Barbie. it Cindy or Barbie or something? He palmed off. No, you, it, was, it was Barbie. I don't think I ever did Cindy. Okay. I missed out on that. It was Barbie and Care Bears. It was both of them together and they were both fortnightly. So at the time, but Care Bears was were on their last legs, and it was just all reprint stuff, and uh, and yeah, and Barbie as well, which which we did relaunch to make it more of a sort of girls' lifestyle magazine, and uh, encourage girls to look like Barbie. <laughs> it was like. Some of the some of the mags that I've done, you'd think, oh my god, why, why me, why have I been chosen? But but I actually got really into Barbie. I was a big fan. Yeah. I was a big fan. I thought actually she's really good, and we had great comic strips in it and great stories in it. And Mario Capaldi did. I was going to say, yeah, he's a great artist. Yeah, he was fantastic. So we did have, you know, did get to work with some really good artists on that. It was great. I preferred that to Care Bears. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Then, they tried to get me on Thomas the Tank Engine, but I only lasted two issues. Mm. Yeah, I remember. Didn't I try and get you on Thomas the Tank Engine? I think I did. And someone said, um, I think it was Jenny Rackett, the previous editor, said, and I do the making dues at weekends. And I thought, well, I go down the pub at weekends. So, yeah. That happen, is it? No, it, it, Thomas was all because I did a couple of issues of it as well. Of Tom, I hated working on Thomas the Tank Engine because they were really, really finickety with approving artwork. It was like if James the Engine had one stripe missing, or so it meant you had to look at every bit of artwork and then look at their style guide and check whether there was a stripe missing or not. Uh, it was the most boring thing, and I never liked him anyway. And yeah. I, I never liked the TV show, and I never liked the stories. And the island, and that fat controller, what a dick! Yeah. Honestly, well, never liked him, uh, or any well, of the that's characters. He used to, well, he used to be the boss of Marvel at one point. Oh, he did, name, yeah. but you know, I actually quite liked that old boss of Marvel in a way. 
I thought he was a cheery fat soul. He he was the cheery fat man, and it, it would brighten your morning when he'd come in. First thing, he would go into every room in the office, and it would be morning. Any news? Any scandal? Were you there the day Perry said, um, "Yes, you've been fired"? No, I missed that. <laughs> <That's brilliant. laughs> so going back to the rocket ship, because we got yeah. sidetracked. Um, yes. And but it might be Barbie, you never know, or Thomas the Tank Engine. You can take a comic character on there you really like to be sure a passage through space with, and one you'd really hate to be trapped in isolation on a spaceship with. Okay. All right. Uh one that I would like to. Okay, yeah. that I would like. And we're not having sex with them or anything. Yeah, of course. Oh, okay, that sort of change. Well, you can do if you want. Yeah, it's up to you. I mean, Tony Stark, I don't know. No, I, I, I wasn't. Uh, no, if it if it was purely sort of just uh, not, Second. you know, cause I, yeah, I don't think I ever really got into any uh, comic book character sexually. I don't think, apart from actually maybe Betty or Veronica in Archie. Okay. Yeah, they were quite uh, hot. And I think, I think possibly Veronica in... See, in I think the only oh, cartoon stop. character I ever really fancied was when I was really little. I had a thing for the cartoon character at the start of I Dream of Genie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right there. But that doesn't count. It's not, no. it's not my no. character. I, as a child, and I do say as a child, yeah. not now, not no. as an adult, no. As a child, I did quite fancy Minnie the Minx. <laughs> And I do emphasise, I don't fancy her now, no, but I did as a, as a kid. You're I thought, a 1970s you know, TV presenter, so obviously you don't. No, exactly. Yeah, though, unfortunately, we were around at that time, so we're tarred with that brush. Yeah. You know, And I did live in Leeds, so, you know, part of Savile's crowd. Actually, he did yell at me and chase me once. Ooh sort of down yeah um well no i think he just told me to fuck off uh <laughs> we, it was halloween and me and a friend phil neath we we were gone and we'd um gone to do trick or treat to him and ring his doorbell and run away unfortunately he lived on the penthouse of this block of flats in round hay park <laughs> so we had to run all the way <laughs> we couldn't wait for the lift or he'd have caught us and he was a marathon runner so yeah. Yeah, but uh, he did just tell her, fuck off, little boys. <laughs> but, <laughs> luckily, he didn't actually catch us. Either that or he wasn't interested he in us. He didn't fix it for you. He didn't fix it, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that, that was my running with... That was one of my great celebrity run-ins. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's funny because Jason, uh, sorry, Tim, your brother, was actually friends with, uh, well, not friends, but he's got a signed Wolf Harris single, isn't it? I don't know if you know that. Yeah. Yeah, I, he has. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say, again, I wouldn't say they were great pals. No, definitely not. I think we should have on record that they never actually met. Well, they met once, didn't they? I think. I, it, yeah, obviously. But that's it. I that's mean, all, yeah. loads of people. They didn't hang out together. No, definitely didn't hang they out. They didn't go to parties. <laughs> They weren't on the same dinner party circuit. They weren't on the same team. No, they weren't. It has to be said now, in Tim's defence, he was never a guest 
No. Or at anything that uh, Rolf was at. Although I actually, uh, you know, out of all of them, yeah, I mean, I think I love that Two Little Boys song. Rolf did some good songs. That was one that did use to bring tears to my eyes. Mm. So um, which character would you hate to be on the spaceship with? Okay, definitely hate. I haven't even said which one I'd like oh, thought, to. No, so you said Minnie the Minx, but then you changed Yeah, but name. as a child, I as don't a child, want to have some a... bratty yeah. kid with me in space. As <laughs> <laughs> so, an adult, then, I, when I'm you're Bruce on Wayne, space. and I've got my, my, my war. sidekick. Yeah. I, I think I would go for Hawkeye uh, as the oh. one that I would like to hang out with in, in space. But didn't he if steal the landed Hmm? Well, didn't he steal your booze or something? He might, yeah. But if we landed on a planet, it'd be good at shooting stuff to, you know, to hunt and catch things. And he's quite a good laugh. Yeah, that's true. So he'd be quite a good character to hang out with. The one that I would absolutely hate to hang out with and be stuck in space with, it would be either Bishop or Cable. Really? Oh. Okay. Uh, or any of those mutants that have powers that you don't even know what they are, and they, just they don't, blast a bit. They blast a bit. They use psionic energy, and uh, they've got really shit sort of powers that you don't even really know what they can do. Bishop just stalks around with his stupid hair, and <laughs> you know, being miserable and grumpy and. You just say, why did he? Why did he come back? You know, if he's yeah. just going to be like that, why not just enjoy the time away from your shitty future? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, miserable get. And Cable's no better. No, with his and he's got that stupid, stupid girl. Well, he's a teenager you now as well, which is just odd. Oh, even worse. Yeah. 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 So either of them, no, don't want either any of them. And, yeah, I think those are the two that I would definitely not want. Yeah, okay. We're going back to comics themselves. We're going to give you a page of original artwork. Oh, right. From any comic of any time. We can steal it from Jack Kirby's personal collection if you want. Yeah. Oh, okay. It would... uh, It's got to be just about any title page of uh, The Spirit that Will Eisner did. Because I think I I just love those ones the way that he would, yeah. you know. And then you see Staranko did that as well. You know, he he did so much that was Will Eisner yeah. later. So I think any of uh, Will Eisner's title pages I'd be happy with. And um, yeah, would have that on my wall definitely. Well, that's a great idea. Great choice. Yay. <laughs> going back how about a favorite cover you mentioned the sort of classic avengers hot classic room. avengers definitely um cap for being thrown off a roof yeah. um also i think in in those ones other great ones that come is the hero no more one that the spidey with his oh, yeah. uh, peter parker walking off with his costume in the bin yeah that's beautiful that, that's such a great moody uh, cover. I think as well, but it's actually more for what's in it. It's more, Although I do actually like the cover, Avengers issue two, the second issue of Avengers. So it's a space phantom. Oh, yeah. 
more because again it's such a great coin and it's got um it's got one of my favorite little bits of interaction ever which is on the first page of it where hulk is getting really fed up with thor because thor <laughs> thor for some reason objects to hulk turning up to their meetings in his pants <laughs> 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 and Chelsea, must you attend our meetings clad in that repulsive attire? Didn't you say that to me at um, Panini once? I'm pretty sure I did say that to you, yeah. <laughs> Although, again, I I have to add, you never turned up at a meeting just in your pants. Sober. <laughs> your purple pants or sober, no. Get this long-haired yahoo off my back. <laughs> just going back yeah. to your, your career, actually, I remember when you left Panini, you um, did a bit of work, was it in Pinewood Studios? I did, yeah. Well, because one of the comics that I was editing before, while I was still at Marvel UK and then it became Panini, so I was still there, and we did this kids' comic called Dream Street that was based on a children's TV show uh, um, about toy cars and things that, that lived in this magical world. And uh, the producer of it, so w with comics like that, with these licensed comics, one of the things that's a pain in the neck for every editor is that you have to get all these pages approved by yeah. the people that own the property. So we would get, again, great artwork done up by Paul Gamble or um, Mario, uh, Mario Capaldi. And, you know, and we'd have great writers doing the stories for these. And then we'd have to get them approved generally by, you know, some girl in their marketing department. Yeah. Uh, but with Dream Street, it was quite a small company, but they were based in Pinewood. And so the producer of it, Nigel Stone, he was a bit eccentric and he used to think, oh, look, I don't want to read reams and reams of stuff that the stories you sent. Can you read it to me? But read it in the characters voices. So I'd have to on the phone in the middle of the Panini office there, read the scripts for our Dream Street comic stories, but in the voices of the characters. Now, the characters were voiced by the likes of Russ Abbott, I think Dave Benson Phillips, and a few others, you know. And I'd have to do these voices. I actually, It, it actually came in good there. Anyway, eventually he said, look, would you like to come and work for us at Pinewood? And I thought, oh, Pinewood, yeah, I'm not mad about Dream Street itself, but Pinewood, wow. Yeah, yeah. home of James Bond. Yeah, exactly. Everything. So I jumped at it, and uh, I actually, doing all those voices did come in handy because they did a uh, stage show of Dream Street, you know, and and it was all pre-recorded, sure. one of those. So it, would, it would turn up at your local small town theatre and it would have a, a track that had been pre-recorded. Yeah. And I actually did do the voices of, I think, both Dave, Dave Benson Phillips and um, Russ Abbott. So, wow. yeah. The acting came in. The acting came in. I was the voice, I was the voice actor for them because I think they wanted to save money, didn't want to pay them to do the <laughs> soundtrack for it. So I got to do it. And... Uh, 
Yeah, so I ended up at, I, I thought, yeah. I mean, I really liked it at Panini. Yeah. Um, really enjoyed it there. But you get offered the chance to work at oh, Pine. Yeah, so. You think, oh, you don't know what's going to happen. And who are you going to meet? And uh, I mean, so, yeah, I jumped in. I was there for a couple of years. And it was great. There was so much going on. Uh, Did you meet Russell Crowe briefly? Well, yeah, because I I lived quite near the studio, but it was a cycle ride away. So I'd ride my bike into work each day. And uh, I was cycling home, and there was this arsehole right on my rear rear wheel. And it was... And kept... And I turned around to tell him to fuck off and, and turned around and gave the, you know, two fingers. Fuck off, you twat. And uh, it was him and Meg Ryan, both laughing. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my one run in with those two. Uh, yeah, but I, I did. I did meet uh, Roger Moore had an office right next door to mine. Oh, wow. And that was that was great because I Roger Moore was my bond. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just loved him in everything. Loved yeah. the, uh, the, the I think we've the talked Persuaders. about this. The Persuaders, one of the best TV shows ever, if not the best yeah. TV show ever. We're a bit like the Persuaders. You're Roger Moore on Tony Kirk. Uh, Tony, That's it. Tony uh, Curtis. Yes, you you are. Yeah, I'm Brett. You're Danny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is yes, definitely. Uh, it's it that's such a good show. And meeting him, and I met him on. He came into the kitchen. I was making tea one morning, and he he popped in. He said, "Oh, good morning." And and I said, "Oh, wow." Um, I was just watching you last night on TV with uh, my son. My son Dylan at the time was about eight, I think, uh, maybe even younger. And I said, yeah. And it, uh, we were watching Live and Let Die last night. And he did actually say to me, Dad, why does my willy get big whenever Bond is kissing that girl? And Roger Moore wrote, raised an eyebrow. Oh, really? <laughs> well, maybe he was interested in Jane, not me. Hmm. And then he said, if you'll excuse me a moment. And he disappeared and came back a moment later with a signed photo of himself from, uh, to Dylan from, uh, from Live and Let Die. Yeah, it would have been better if he'd had one of him looking as he did then, yeah. sort of. <laughs> but no, it actually, from Live and Let Die, it was great. So he was brilliant. He was probably the best of uh, the characters yeah. that I met there. And good sense of humour. And... Also, Pierce Brosnan as well. Pierce Brosnan stopped filming on, I think it was, I think it was his last Bond movie at the time. So it was the one with the invisible car. Uh, I actually liked that film. No one else so does. Right. I thought it was a great film that. I do. And I don't see why people get so hung up no. on the invisible car. I mean, it's not like he's never done impossible stuff. Yeah, exactly. Why are they bothered about that? It was actually a great film. He actually stopped filming throughout Pinewood for on the day of the... It was during the World Cup, and it was the day England played Argentina. And he stopped filming so that we could all watch together on the Bond set um, the uh, match. 
He wasn't even English or Argentinian. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Which so, Argentina game was that? It was the one with the penalty. I think it was the one with the penalty shootout. The one that we actually won that Beckham scored, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was the one that Beckham scored in. Oh. Yeah, we actually did win it. So I watched that with Pierce Brosnan and wow. a thousand other people. Yeah. <laughs> Not just you two. Yeah. So um, if you could take a geek-related object onto the ship with you, what would it be? Oh, God. Uh, a geek-related object. You see, again, there's so many types of geekery, isn't there? It just be something I, personal that's sort of... You know. Yeah, yeah. I think I would bring my uh, white tap shoes. Because okay. I'm, I'm a tap dance geek. I've seen the video. You see the video. I'm not a very good tap dance geek, but I am a tap dance geek. Has anyone with a tap dance in space? You could be the first. Yeah, exactly. Wouldn't that be great? Especially if there was no gravity. Can and you tap dance with no gravity? Oh, tap dancing in mid-air. That would make a fantastic Fred Astaire dance sequence, wouldn't it? That it would be. It would be so good. I I often find myself like um you know, wandering around and, and thinking, oh, if Fred Astaire was alive today, what would make a great dance sequence in, uh, you know, one of his movies? So, yeah, dancing in space, perfect. That would be good. Huh? Yeah, that's my geeky object. That is a cool geeky object. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably need my white tux and uh, everything else. Oh, we'll sort give of. you that. You, I couldn't be in a space No, you can't be in a space suit. With, no, that that looks stupid. That would be ridiculous. Yeah, think, yeah. what a crazy Maybe idea. a helmet. Maybe a space helmet. <laughs> uh, just a Actually, wouldn't that be cool? Helmet. You could see Nick Fury doing that. You know, someone in Hollywood will listen to this, and in two years' time, when we're allowed out again, yes. there'll be a musical with someone, tap, John Travolta, tap dancing with the helmet on. That's it. Or Mickey Rourke, maybe. Mickey Rourke, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, Mickey Rourke, tap dancing. Shush. I didn't know you had a dog yeah. in space with you. Yeah, I've got, yes, sneaked on Stowaway. <laughs> did you go from um, Pinewood to Campfire in India? Um, I went freelance for a while, so I was living in Spain for a few oh, years. Oh, no, I knew there was something I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. The sex novel set in the Marvel office. Oh, that's right. I did, yeah. This was, I... I I was hired to do a series of like Mills and Boone type um, romances, but they were really, really smutty ones. They wanted real graphic sex um, things, but in a romantic way. In the um, best possible taste. Well, yes, in the best possible taste, but... I, I suppose, yeah, I was, I was commissioned to do these, and they were for the Spanish market. So I'd write them in English and they'd be translated into Spanish. And, you know, I, I think the third one I did, the first one I did was ridiculous. I think it was about, it was a love story between an IRA bomber and, uh, and uh, one of his victims. <laughs> it, was, it was the most ridiculous thing. and Because they'd always said, you know, at first they've got to hate each other 
and then suddenly they, you know, <laughs> buy, yeah, then they then they love each other, then they fall out again, and then they yeah. finally end up back together. So I thought, okay, what's one of the most ridiculous things I could come up with? So that was one of them. He actually ended up not being an IRA bomber. He had been falsely accused and imprisoned for it, so he didn't actually do it. But the girl in question said, well, they all say they're innocent, don't they? They do not. That is tantamount to slander. So it is. You know, so. <laughs> Kay was never going to forgive you for that accent. <laughs> or putting the word tantamount yeah. into it. <laughs> but the Marvel one, I, I'm, I think I might be one of the few people in this country who actually read it. We won't mention the names of the staff who you used in the book. Oh, yes. It was fantastic. And Yeah, you know. so, yeah. Like around the third book that I did, uh, yeah, I did do one based at a comic book company and it did have pretty much most of the staff that were there at the time. Yeah. And yeah, unfortunately, can't name names. No, we can't name they, names for legal reasons. And I know. I did actually, the, and I, I, I haven't actually got a copy of that, but uh, I did see during my time in Spain when I was living there, like about 10 years later, in one of those like bargain books places, there was a whole bargain bin of, <laughs> of them. So, I love seeing my books in bargain bookshops. It always gives oh, me a lovely thrill. Especially when there's about 50 of them, <laughs> all for like two for one. Yeah, you please know. take these out of the shop. Yeah, get rid of them. The, uh, if ever there was sort of a case for book burning, that was <laughs> probably. Yeah. So you went from there to Campfire, though, because I love you yeah. with Campfire. They're, I was chatting to Lalit, actually, he's guest oh, in the yeah. last episode. You got me involved what? in the World War One book. Before then, you were already winning awards for Gandhi and I forget the other book you won an award it's for. Steve Jobs, okay. I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I. Um, when I was freelancing in Spain, I started work for doing work for this Indian comic book company. And I thought, oh, they're great. You know, this is this is really cool. They, they've got a really varied publishing schedule. Uh, you know, you get some, the, some new stuff, some uh, that were adaptations of the classics, like classics illustrated kind of things you know, biographies of famous people. And they asked me to do one on Steve Jobs. It was just like the day after he died, they called me and said, look, would you do this? And I don't think, you know, there was not much available on his life at the time. That big biography of his hadn't come out yet. So, yeah, I had to do that. And it, 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 I had to do this book in a, in a real hurry. They wanted it out to you know, to while there was still a lot of interest in Steve Jobs. And it actually, the, the artwork on it looked fantastic. It did. It was really um, um, sort of modern and sleek. and Yeah. It, it sort of reminded me a bit, in a way, of the Batman cartoon. It the reminded sort of me of Macbox, that sort of sleek, beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah, look. you're right. Yeah. I, I mean, I loved it and loved his artwork, this guy, Amit. Tayal, he was fantastic, and uh, I did that from Spain. But they invited me over to India just to meet the artists and yeah. to talk about the look of the book. And so I went over, and we decided that we'd have the book instead of being normal graphic novel shape, we'd do it like an iPad with the rounded corners. 
and it looked fantastic and he was such a great artist but i was shocked when i went in there because it brought me back to those days at marvel uk when you remember down in the basement we'd have the artists room yeah, and the bullpen. You, yeah that was and the best period for me at marvel when you could it just, was great that there was a bullpen because yeah. as kids when we'd read like the bullpen bulletin you, you or when you'd hear that little record that marvel produced in the 60s of the bullpen at work there was this little record we got um that had them all goofing off in the yeah. office and how fantastic you've got the editors the writers you've got uh the artists all working in the same place and for a short while at marvel uk that was that was the case oh, too and, and they even had a couch certain staff members could go down to and have a snooze yeah. on and the artists yeah. would cover them in coats so the bosses couldn't see them though i know it was fantastic and but then that all changed and artists started working from home and they expected uh, the editors to work for a living and stuff like yes that. i know but in india at campfire yeah the artists and the editors were all in a bullpen all wow. together and i thought oh this is great there was just especially after years of freelancing yeah. just being alone i suddenly thought this is fantastic there's interaction and there's uh what Energy. a great yeah there were the colorists there was the uh you know the colorist there was an inca for it's for lalit who always ha had an inca because lalit was most of them did their work actually on screen on on the screen and lalit was i think one of the last to do that uh, I'm sure he does it now, but uh, now he's well, doing. Um, well, you probably don't know, but he's doing um, Firefly for Boom Studios at the moment. And they're just doing oh, his pencils straight to art. Oh, beautiful wow. stuff. Then he would do it all by hand, and then Jagdish was his inker, and it worked with him for years before Campfire and uh, on. And he's a great inker as oh, well. Yeah. Perfect for him. And th there were so many really good artists at campfire and i thought wow what a great place to work and i loved delhi yeah. from that that moment when i first arrived and delhi for me it was like being it was like being in a sci-fi movie it was like being on in blade runner yeah where it was sort of futuristic they have all this you know they have all the latest iphones they've got all the tech and things but Nothing quite works. It's all a bit run they've down. They've got dogs in the background. You know, they've got, yes, yeah, they've got... So. Shush! Bonnie, hush. It's all right. It was a good point she made, I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah, she was just... Yeah. Yeah, well, she hated Delhi. <laughs> <laughs> she's never been, but she's... I love seen... the story you told me about um, the dog you adopted in Delhi. Well, yeah. Um, one day I... Because it was... It, one day out just doing the shopping and it was so hot and I fainted. I just collapsed. I had all my shopping. I collapsed in the street and I woke up with this tongue across my face uh, and it was a dog. This stray dog was just licking me. <laughs> and so she followed me all the way home then. I sort of managed to... And, came up the stairs with me and came in. And, of course, 
I didn't eat meat in in India. Yeah. It's not a, a. It's hard to find, yeah. and uh, probably not a good idea if you're going to get deli belly. Better to get it from veg rather than meat. Yeah. And so, but she came in, and I think I had some ice cream that I gave her, and uh, which probably wasn't great for her, no. but she enjoyed it, and she would come then every day and she'd just hang out and watch tv with me uh for a bit and then get bored and think right i'm off and scratch at the door and go and then every day she'd come back just for an hour or two and sit in there in the evening have her ice cream and then and then (laughs) she was off again so yeah that was my my dog in india (laughs) my thing at the moment is i've been worked with you on campfire books you got me in for yeah. the first world war novel that's right yeah because we had to while i was there had to decide what our publishing program would yeah. be each year and i think i went over there in the end of 2012 and one of the things that i was saying look we really need to do a book on uh world war one it's coming up the centenary by the time we've got it all written and drawn and everything it'll be 1914 let's let's do that and so yeah so i approached you you then to write it that's the first time i came across indian artists to be honest and i think they're going to be the next big wave to hit you know american comics there's so many good artists out there Oh, there's so many fans and such a varied styles yeah. as well. So you've got Lalit, who who I think is well, I as think good he's, as the, he's, any. Great, he's paving the way for everyone. You know, he's, he, he must be the first Indian artist now, actually, to work for Marvel and DC. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, I I, I often like when we, we were there in India and he was working there. We'd often go out of an evening, you know, we'd go to, and Lalit never drank anything stronger than Coca-Cola. But he'd come to bars with us and and things, and he would just sit there, and they were always quite dingy, dark bars, but he would just sit there sketching people. So he never stopped. He, he, He was like, he never actually stopped practicing. I think about this is the same. Yeah. You know, you just have a, some time. artists you just have a drink with and they're sketching while they're chatting to you. And they don't even know yeah. they're doing it. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, he never, ever switched off. He was yeah. always, you know, at it. And there were other, you know, equally good in different ways artists there as well. They were all great. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah they, they will be the new way. Yeah, I think. I think so. So, yeah. Back to the spaceship. We, um, I know we're big, both big music fans, but we're, you're going to take one song and one book with you. Oh, okay. All right. I think the song I would bring would be... Uh, oh, yep. Yeah, uh, let's Face the Music and Dance, uh, okay. Fred Astaire. You've got the yeah, tap shoes. Astaire, I've got the tap shoes. Fred Astaire's version rather than uh, Frank's. Yeah, uh, I can see that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, I really like... Fred, loads of people say, well, Fred Astaire, he didn't have a really strong voice. And yes, he's not a belter, but he's really sincere with it. And yeah. also, I kind of feel like, okay, I could. there's no way I could ever emulate Frank Sinatra singing, but maybe... 
could just about manage Fred. Yeah, you could. He does it with feeling, and he does it, you know. But yes, it's not a real powerful belter's voice, but it's it it really does get the job done. I love his singing. That's so great. yeah, yeah, Fred Astaire definitely. Um, and what book wise? Yeah. Oh God, there's so many as well. Mm. You know, I I was really thinking hard. Okay, what would I I do? It's like. P.G. Wodehouse always makes me laugh, and there's always... you're a big fan. Yeah, I love his stuff. But at the same time, oh, if I was just stuck in space just with that, it wouldn't be that funny second or third time that I read it. It's like I'll keep going back to it, like I'll keep going back and watching Laurel Hardy movies. Yeah. But I wouldn't watch Way Out West every night for a week. Yeah or a month, or for however long this, this voyage in space is going to be, forever. It depends <laughs> on the planet you want to go to. Well, yeah. David, so, you wanted to go to Uranus? <laughs> yeah, all the way to my anus. It, it's like, I wouldn't, P.G. Woodhouse probably would cease to be amusing then, that one yeah. book. So I think I would probably pick the Mahabharata, which sounds a lot more whoa sort of some you know it's it's yes it is a big religious sacred book but it's a fantastic it's better than game of thrones it's a fantastic adventure with really great characters and brilliant villains and each time i go back to it there's something that i've missed the time before and it's really 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 long yeah so I might only have to read it once on well, on the, the way. Journey to... e- even all the way to Uranus, I might it might just it might last me that journey without having to go back. So I think that would have to be the book that I take because I keep meaning to read it again, but think if life's too short. So maybe if I had that, <laughs> I'm going to give you a movie as well because I know you're a big movie buff. Oh yeah. Oh so, wow! Mm, okay, movie. Well, I did. I did say okay. It could be any Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. Uh, well, early Laurel and Hardy, yeah. not sort of their ones from the forties that are a bit rubbish. But I think possibly Sons of the Desert. Yeah. Uh, you know the one where they go to the convention. Yeah. Okay, so either any of those Laurel and Hardys or. I think Angels with Dirty Faces. Classic. Uh, with Jimmy Cagney. Yeah. Yeah. That you could I watch it again and again and try and work out does he really lose it at the end or is he yes. doing it Did he to save the kids? Chicken? Did he turn chicken or yeah. not? Yeah, that definitely, I think. So it's such a great movie. Yeah. And, and again, anything with Jimmy Cagney in is yeah. really cool. So. Anyway, one last, well, two last questions. While you're in the spaceship, yeah, there's going to be a hole in the fabric of space and time your spaceship's going to go into. Oh, you're fantastic! Going to be catapulted to anywhere, yeah, in the universe now, or the past, or present, or any anywhere. It can be a fantasy world, can be a reality world, can be a historical period. Oh, yeah, it could be somewhere you could go out and meet people and not stay inside all the time. Okay, that would be great. I imagine that. Yeah, that would be fantastic. 
So, so yeah, that that's a great treat. Uh, when where, what? So you're saying the question could, is where I mean, would could, I go? Yeah, you could. Where would you like to go? You could go to Viking, the Viking Age, or you could go to Tunbridge Wells in 1990, or you know, wherever you feel. Yeah, like. that that would be a bit. Yeah, that, that, bit, that, bit too much, bit too exciting, maybe. That would be too exciting because it was all happening then. Yeah. Uh, I think I would go. I'm a big fan of Napoleon. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Napoleon. So I think I would go and ingratiate myself in Napoleon's court. I can see you doing that. Yeah, I would Very do well. that. And then I could try and talk him out of invading Russia. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's where I go. I, I could see myself hanging out with L'Empereur. I think, yeah. So, vive l'empereur. You could be the power behind the throne. Yeah. Well, I I think that's another thing that comes from books as well, because as a kid, I was a massive fan of Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, Brigadier Gerard stories. And they were all about this old Napoleonic soldier reminiscing in a calf about his adventures during the Napoleonic Wars. And he was so full of himself in, in this really French way. But they are great fun, those stories. So that gave me a lifelong love of Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh, well, I always found, I always liked um, Louis Napoleon more. His, was it his nephew? His, his brother, I think. Was Louis, it? I think he, yeah, he, he was the one we up. took over in was it about eighteen seventy or something? And then oh, screwed no, by Bismarck. That was his nephew. That was his nephew. Yeah. Yes. Um, so he was Napoleon the Third. Yeah, there's something about his life that when you know when I read about him, I really loved the fact that he was doing well, and then fucking Bismarck came in. I know. Well, I, I quite like Bismarck though. I knew you would. The Flashman books. Oh yeah, Flashman. We we both idolised Flashman. He's a role model for <laughs> yeah. everyone. Yeah, and. Bismarck is great in the yeah, Flash book, so I think I'm going to side with Bismarck <laughs> on that one. <laughs> well, I know you're still um, writing. I know you're back at Panini editing loads of great titles. Yeah. But I also know, was it last year you went to the Bhutan Literary Festival? Do you want to tell me a bit yes. about that? That looks yeah, stunning. That, that was amazing. It was, and again, it was through, because I had done a book for Campfire, uh, since I'd come back to England, and I'd done this book on Lakshmibe, the Rani of Jansi, who actually does appear in uh, one of uh, the Flashman books. I think it's um, must be one of the Indian. Yeah, it, I think it's the it's the Great Game. Yeah, it's That's Flashman, a really the Great Game book. Yeah, and she's the heroine of that. And so I did a book on her. And then I got an invitation last year, last summer, from from Bhutan, uh, for asking if I'd like to go to and speak at the Mountain Echoes Literary Festival hosted by the Queen Mother of Bhutan. Wow, brilliant. Yeah, okay. So, yes, definitely. I, I didn't know where Bhutan was. At first I thought it was some Middle Eastern place. And it ends up that it's this tiny this little himalayan kingdom i had to look it up myself i'm glad you said you didn't know where it was because i had no idea when you where first it told me it made me feel really stupid that i didn't know <laughs> yeah i had to look it up and it's like something out of tintin it's this tiny kingdom up in the himalayas and 
the airport there, apparently it's the most dangerous airport in the world to land in. And there's only seven pilots in the world uh, qualified to land there. Because you're you're basically flying through a valley of that you fly over over Everest to get there, and then you're down through this valley with houses and things, and it's a really tight corner and a really narrow, short uh, runway. In fact, the the plane you know planes often have to turn back if if it's foggy if the if there's too much cloud because they they need to see to be able to land. And it was the scariest landing I've ever had. You know, it was like suddenly this drop and bump and oh my God. And you just see a mountain coming right at you. It was horrifying. So yeah, but kind of worth the horror. It's a beautiful place. The air out there as well. It's so rarefied. You you kind of, whoa, you're so high up. (laughs) And it is like, I don't know if it's stepping into the past or stepping onto an alien planet itself. Uh, it's just so strange and beautiful. And the people are so friendly. Uh, yeah. And everybody there loves the royal family, uh, their royal family, not yeah. ours. They, they probably don't know who our royal no. family are. But they, they love that. In fact, I was warned. We were all warned not to disrespect them. I was thinking, well, we're hardly going to do that, especially since she's hosting the dinners things. We don't, we're not going to start meet, insulting her. Which member of the royal family did you meet? I think it was the queen mother. So it was it was the uh, it was the king's mother uh, um, that I met, and she was gorgeous. I mean, you know, it no, was like listen to this. Yeah, she was absolutely stunning. Talk about a milf uh, <laughs> or, or a gilf, actually. I mean, yeah, I mean, she was, <laughs> what, what a hottie. Uh, um, it was she was absolutely stunning. Although at the time, couldn't have done anything, even if she had come on to me demanding. Well, there would have been. Repercussions, I think. Uh, no, I was given a free pass. Oh, okay. I was That's saying, yeah, this is royal. I I was given a free pass. Well, you got married just before. I had got married just yep. before. It's not often that you you end up meeting exotic royalty in, in such thing. I was given a free pass at it, but also the day before I flew out there, I, I had an operation on. I had an operation on my bum. <laughs> uh, I'd got this cyst on my bum that had gone really fucking painful and septic. And I'd gone to the doctor thinking, have you got anything that can calm this down? I've got a really long flight on Wednesday. And he was like, yeah, you're going straight to hospital. So I was like, oh, great. Okay. So they ended up cutting this thing out uh they did it straight away which makes me think geez how how it got i'd got a gangrenous arse <laughs> but the then, dangers of living in tunbridge wells it is and so then they they cut it out and they said so okay and the next day the day before i flew out that they i had to go and see a nurse to have this wound dressed and she was saying okay We'll do this once a week, but uh, you'll need you need to change the dressing each day. You'll need someone to do it at home for you. 
And I said, oh, well, I'm actually traveling alone to uh, Bhutan tomorrow. Uh, can you show me how to do it? And they said, well, it's a bit difficult. And of course, trying to fix, uh, fix a dressing on your bum, it is difficult. I've never uh, tried to do that. Well, no, I mean, I'd never tried. But it was like a bullet hole. And it was about it was about half as deep as a finger. So it was like two knuckles deep. Uh, uh, this big gaping hole that it wasn't my anus it was <laughs> uh, it had to be packed with this gelatinous seaweed oh. yeah it was a seaweed gauze that would turn to jelly once it was let you on the plane with seaweed gauze in your bum they didn't it, it, it went in as gauze it came out as jelly oh um but you have to stuff liquids when you get on a plane, don't they? So... I know, yeah. So you had to stuff it into your bum with with your finger in, in this hole. It was luckily at the top of my buttocks, so it was <laughs> shove it in with a finger, pack it, make sure it was really packed. And I on my way there then. So you had to fly to Delhi first, and then get a plane from Delhi to. Uh, so I had to spend a night in Delhi. And I was thinking, really, it's September, I think. No, it was August. So it's the middle of summer, coming to Delhi with a great big gaping wound in my backside. It's probably not the wisest thing, is you know. And I started, but it had been a chance in a lifetime yeah. to do. I didn't want to turn it down just for the sake of a hole in my bum. But when I got there, I started thinking, oh, God, you know. And, of course, I felt faint and dizzy every time I had to even look, twist around to look at this wound in the mirror. And to, when I finally got to Bhutan, the mirror was quite high up on the bathroom wall. So it meant I had to stand on the rim of the bath to be able to see my ass in the mirror. <laughs> I nearly broke my neck packing that wound each day. So... Yep. Anyway, had anything come to anything with the Queen Mother, which well, admittedly it would have been unlikely, she's yep. a woman of virtue, uh, had it, I think she would have been in for a nasty shock yeah. had she got my britches off. And seen your seeping bumhole. Yes. <laughs> I trust it's healed now. It's, yes. It's it it's got a wonderful sort of scar like like there that looks like again like Flashman I could have been shot in the arse while while fleeing Cossacks yeah <laughs> so one last question yeah what would you miss about Earth family and friends you know aside okay family and friends aside what would I dogs I think Ooh, okay. Yeah, dogs always kind of make me like if if I'm feeling a bit glum or down or anything, like wherever I am in the world, if I if I'm walking down and I see a dog going past uh, and think they'll always make me laugh, especially if it's a scruffy looking thing yeah. or you know the the look on the face. So yeah, it's it's got to be dogs that I would miss most on earth. Yeah, dogs for me. Dogs, if I if I can bring a whole load of dogs with me into space, that would be good. Be, I'll let you do that. 
Be great. Yeah, and some dog food as well, so they don't. Turn well, of me. course, I don't want them just starving, so I've got a load of dead dogs. <laughs> that <would be> <laughs> dead dogs in my spaceship. <laughs> that would be really shit. <laughs> okay, well, yep. um, we can end it there with dogs in space. Yes, dogs in space. All right. Okay, this has been great. That's been great fun. I've been loads better than Tim. <laughs> and um well enjoy your trip in space and um okay, thank you thanks i'll see you on my way back you've been listening to the last geek in space thanks to jason crin for taking time to talk to us and paul morris and vegetables at last for the music last geek in space is a bullpen productions creation check out our website at bullpenproductions.co.uk and alancouncil.com for more information and buy my books I'm going to step off the land now. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. I'd got this cyst on my bum that had gone really fucking painful and septic.